Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Okay, welcome to the fee-for-service podcast. I'm Dr. Sonny Spira, still sitting in for Drew Burns. And we are continuing, and today's guest is a phenomenal dentist and person that you will all enjoy his knowledge and wisdom. It's Dr. Carl Steinberg. Let me give you a little bit of his background. His achievements span a wide range of professional and personal activities. Recently voted one of Philadelphia's top dentists 2010, 14, and 16 through 19. After attending Temple for three years, he was accepted into the School of Dentistry where he was elected Phi Beta Kappa. Earned his DDS in 1980 and continued his formal training in West post, with postgraduate education at West Jersey's Hospital Residency Program. The Academy of General Dentistry in 1997 honored Dr. Steinberg with a prestigious mastership degree, which only 1% of practicing dentists have. Again, in 2013, he was also presented a lifelong learning recognition award about from the Academy of General Dentistry. Outside of dentistry, husband, father, grandfather, and active in his community in several charities. And you're going to find through the conversation how important the continuing education factor is and how he walks the walk, talks the talk, and how he is involved at a very high level of helping deliver a lot of continuing education through his involvement with the Spear Institute. So without further ado, welcome, Dr. Carl Steinberg. Hey, Sonny, good morning. Good morning. How are you on this beautiful day? It's a kind of uh, overcast here at the beach today, but it's still nice to be here. See, those, those three words were key, though, at the beach. Oh, oh man. It was, it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. Great, great family time, great personal time for my wife and me. And uh, it's, it's the reason that um, dentistry has provided me a wonderful life. Isn't it nice, though, when the family all of a sudden wants to come visit because you're at a nice location and on top of that, right? It's true. The time we spend at the beach with our family... Um, it reminds me of when I was a little boy and that family time was all together. Yeah. And, you know, you're not sitting in front of a computer. We're going to the beach. We're having meals together. We're playing board games. We 
sit outside and talk. We have catches, we have frisbees, you know, all the good things of interaction with people. Right. Isn't it amazing? I mean, it's amazing. I, I, I feel the same. I mean, right now with, you know how dentistry is. I mean, the craziness of it, but when you can back away from it and just strip it down. And for us with the three kids and my wife and I, and the extended family, my sisters, my sister-in-law, my father-in-law, mother-in-law, you know, it's just, it's a, people, you're just in a different vibe when you don't have those pressures on you and you can just sort of let your hair down and everybody is themselves. And, and my kids to this day love it. So yep. agreed. Long as we are able to, we'll do be doing the same thing. Cause I'm actually also at a nearby beach. So I'm enjoying myself today too. So today's topic and one that I think bears a lot of fruit is how to become a fee-for-service practice, but probably more importantly, why become a fee-for-service practice. And Dr. Steinberg has years and years of experience. As he said, he graduated in 1980. We're going to get into a little bit of his past and how he has evolved into where he is, but let's start right from the beginning. Carl, how did you what, tell, talk us a little bit about Temple? You said you did a three years. So were you planning to do a three, four? How did that whole thing come about? No, I, I, um, I had a desire for dentistry probably since high school. And uh, I had a cousin in New York State who was a dentist. <laughs> and uh, after three years of college, I applied to the three Pennsylvania schools and I uh, got accepted to Temple and, and did. And uh, Penn wanted me to finish my last year, so I decided to go to Temple and finished up early there as well. So my last semester was making jewelry and playing around. And then, um, so I had a strong desire for dentistry, the uh, artistry involved with it and working with people. And then did a postgraduate GPR in South Jersey. Uh, coming out of the GPR, I worked for three different practices. One was a fee-for-service practice. One was um, some fee-for-service and, and some insurance. And the other one was um, DPA or pure insurance welfare, so to speak. Um, uh, I was working six days a week and four evenings a, a week because I had a, a family mm -hmm. and uh, I needed to produce an income to cover my bills. And after um, probably doing that for about two or three years, I realized that um, working in a, a fee-for-service practice and working for patients, not for insurance companies, mm -hmm. made a lot more sense to me. And I think that still is true today that when you are a fee-for-service practice, you have the opportunity to work for your patient. You have the opportunity to do the things that you were trained, do the things that you believe in, as opposed to when you work for insurance companies, you basically don't hold the trump card. When you work for an insurance company, they hold, they hold the purse strings and usually those with the money make the decisions. Golden rule, right? That's what yeah, the those with the gold make the rules. Yeah, so let me absolutely. ask you this, were you working in those three practices simultaneously? Yes. Yeah, well, three that, must jobs. Been, that must have been super interesting because you could really compare and contrast them because you're living it. Oh, absolutely. 
right? What, what, talk about, talk about working in the, uh, we'll call it the insurance mill. I, I, you know, talk about that. What, what, how did you feel like when you got up and went to work on that day, I'm guessing you worked different days or different shifts. Right. Didn't you almost walk in like, Oh, like, did it start like that? How did it, how did it talk about the, the mental part of working in that environment? Well, um, interesting. I got that position because one of the attendings, um, was running it. And <laughs> one, oh, one, <laughs> cheap yeah, <labor. laughs> so, Interesting. But um, at that time, I was only hired to do their endo and their crown and bridge. So I was only doing certain aspects of care for them. And uh, interesting thing, one of the owners, after working there for about six months, asked me to do all of his dentistry for him. <laughs> And actually, that company turned into a, a local, um, what's the word, a, you know, a, a large um, corporate corporate dental center uh-huh. in, uh, in the mid-Atlantic area of the country. Um, but I worked there for about a year and a half, two years, because I needed the income. Uh-huh. And I, I realized that, you know, I said to them, look, if something isn't right, I'm going to be redoing it. And I didn't very often make bonuses. By just doing things i just made sure that things were correct so i realized it was a job for me it was relatively close to my home it provided me with some income but i'll say to you that the good thing about that is i realized what i didn't want to do and it goes along with the story that when my son was um, in college he was a business major and he He came home to me one day and said, you know, I really don't like accounting. And I said to him, isn't that wonderful? And he looked at me funny. And I said, you're not going to like everything you get exposed to. It's important to find out that what you like and what you don't like. Yeah. And focus on the things that you like and what you're good at, because you're not going to be good at everything. Mm -hmm. So I knew that wasn't for me. Now they, um, they had to be uh, they had to be not happy with you then because you probably weren't pumping it out as they had no. wanted, right? No, I wasn't. Yeah. But we had that conversation in the beginning. Right. And they know I came there. Um... The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. I sort of got recruited and they know I was filling in, I was working there one, one day a week. Uh-huh. And the owner who I was doing some work for recognized the kind of work I was doing and he was okay with it. Uh-huh. You're right, I wasn't pumping it out, but that's okay. The only time I, I made bonus is when I had a large case to do. Uh-huh. But you don't find many large cases in a, in a welfare practice. Right. What, you know, the, the main question is, what does my insurance cover? <laughs> yeah. 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 And then, and doesn't that change the entire way that you present cases to patients? I, like my son, when he was in his residency program, he did, it was at upstate, upstate hospital in Syracuse. And there were two components. There was the VA and then there was upstate. And Upstate was pretty much a section to Article 28 clinic, which was all Medicaid, and then the VA, which was different. And, and he had the two challenges that he thought saw was, okay, if I present a case to a patient in the Upstate clinic, 
I can present to them the options. They're always like, what's covered and just do it. And he said, do I shortchange them by just kind of going right to that? Or should I continue to just present the whole thing and just work on my verbal skills? Then his issue at the VA was they did cover pretty much what they wanted to do in terms of ideal treatment, but they had nothing invested in it. So they could care less. And, and you know, so he knew like, I'm going to put this in, this is going to fail because you're not going to take care of it. And then you're just going to say, oh, okay, well then just pull it out and we'll do, you know, it was all covered. So he dealt with two different psyches and it was interesting to hear his opinion at a very, very young age dealing with that. And, and, you know, I'm asking you that same question. How did you deal with that in terms of, okay, so a patient comes in, I'm going to prevent, provide a treatment plan and they're going to say, I, I'm only going to do what's covered. Did that change how you presented your treatment plan? Well, back then it wasn't, I was not presenting treatment plans. I was just, I was just the carpenter. Oh, so you were, you were just technician. Okay. Yeah, I was just a carpenter doing the work. You're filling the order. Yeah, you were filling the work order. Indeed, indeed. Indeed. So how did you learn your treatment planning skills? Was it in the other practices? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, Probably treatment planning skills were from uh, Panky and Spear. I've been through most of Panky and I've done all the Spear from being an instructor there. But, but, But initially when you're an associate, in those other two practices you were at besides the mill... Were you working on those things? I mean, how, did you? you? You're working on it, but you know, you know, I was young back then. Uh-huh. And um, how do I put it? There's an article I wrote for Spear this entitled, you know, what does dental, dental school teach you? And the short version is they teach you three things. They teach you how to graduate and get your license. They teach you how to maybe start learning dentistry. And they teach you how not to be too dangerous to yourself or your patient. <laughs> But do they teach you dentistry? And, you know, in my opinion, is they teach you how to start learning dentistry. And that's true of every profession. Right. When right. You come to start out, learning. You, yeah. yeah. So I'll say to you that um, I, I had earned my mastership from AGD um, probably about six years into practice. Pretty quick. Yeah. And... I decided to give myself a break from CE. So the next month I started my first course at Panky. So you took a break. Okay. Yeah, one month. <laughs> and when I started Panky Institute, I felt like I knew nothing about dentistry. Everything I was doing was wrong. I felt so bad because I didn't understand as much as I picked up from those first few days about looking at things. I was very good about how to treat a tooth. I wasn't very good about how to treat and diagnose a patient, but I didn't know that. You don't know what you don't know. You know about the ladder of learning. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And then you get exposed to things and then you learn those things and you realize the more that you, the more that you learn, the more you realize you don't know. So, um, Panky Institute, and then uh, how we're practiced now from things that we do at Spear and what's more current today, uh, help me understand diagnosis and treatment planning. And I'll share with you that even at this ripe old age, after 40 years of practice, I would say five years ago, how I look at things has changed dramatically with the advent of airway and what we understand about how airway has a play in everything that we do. 
So I've been lucky enough that I've been able to grow and be exposed to what's current and incorporate it into my practice. Um, but then again, that's the beauty of a fee-for-service practice. I don't have restrictions. The only restrictions I have is what my patient wants to do or doesn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yeah, you don't have a middleman, right? That's I, that's what I always talk about. You know, you, I you don't have a right. middleman. That's correct. Yeah. And um, I remember when uh, when uh, the the president, uh, the New York State president. Uh, it was running and he came to our component and he came in and he says, I'm big on managed care. And I remember everybody in the room was like, Oh, he says, managed care is managing a patient directly with the doctor without interferences from insurance. So people, Oh, Oh, okay. You know, it was, it was a really nice way to put it. And, and it really, you know, it kind of put a different spin on it, but that always stuck with me is, you know, it's a direct link doctor patient right that's a direct two-way street and then insurance company or or third party is a third party they're outside of that circle you know so isn't that the way we were trained isn't that the way that's how we we were taught exactly right same thing with ce do we i don't i don't know of many ce courses that teach you how to maximize your insurance relationship right right how to code something oh you're going to do this so put these codes in and then you could throw these on top of it and then you know it's like you know spaghetti right throw it to the wall and see what sticks and no thanks that's a game that's just it is it is so let's talk about so you so you're doing these three things and you said you said you know you had to earn a living at this point though you're start i think i would i don't want to put words in your mouth but you're starting to also see that i prefer this style of practice to that because you can you can compare them right you're you're exactly. you're living that life and what was the appealing what was the what was the driving nature of the fee for service part for you well the driving nature was really relationships and patients appreciated what you did right right yeah. thousand percent there's a there's a term that I learned at Panky Institute that I didn't understand that when I bring it up to students they don't get it until they get it and that term is getting paid with gratitude and people look at me funny and they say, well, weren't they supposed to pay with money? And I said, absolutely. That comes first. But when you get paid with gratitude and people appreciate what you do, then you know, you've done something good. And that doesn't happen a whole lot in a fee for service practice, unless, excuse me, that doesn't happen a whole lot in, in an insurance based practice with the exception of getting somebody out of pain. Mm-hmm. And getting somebody out of pain is more of a yeah. rea- reactionary care. Yeah, I, I think in those practices too, it's you're a warm body, and the name on the front of your scrub, they don't really care, right? All they care about is what you sign for, you know, like what you bill, what's taken care of, what's covered, what's not covered. And, yep. and why, why would there be gratitude? You're just you're just the guy filling the order. And if it's not you, it'll be the next guy. There's there's no need to have a relationship, right? So sort of like when uh, the cable man comes to fix our problem here, and after we're done, we say thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're you're the cable man fixing the cable. <laughs> right, and right. You're yeah. you're the repairman. That's true, and I th- I think that's that's um. That's not often 
spoken about enough, especially even in the fee-for-service circles. I think that people that are in it get it and, and, and they really start to, you know, have a lot of that feedback. Some of it's subtle, some of it's direct, but it's on purpose. And I think when it's missing, you know, it's, it's really missing. It's a huge component. Well, now all of a sudden you're, you're a no-name face and, you, you know, you don't have to, you know, be on top. Right. So why don't we talk about why? Yeah, let's get let's get it. So look, well, but let's say, so from there though, you started your own practice. Then I'm assuming. No. How did you get on your own? No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, I had with the person who was a fee for service practice. He and I had a little bit of difference of ideas. Okay. And it was time for me to leave. And I went to the person who had a little bit of a blended practice and asked if he would be willing to let me try to market and grow the practice the way that I wanted to. And he wasn't interested in that. Now, that doesn't mean it's wrong. It means he was comfortable the way his practice yeah. was. And he was, he was honest with me. But he had a conversation with you. So good. Indeed. indeed. And, and we're still friendly. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually marketed myself. I advertised myself. And I joined a practice in downtown Philadelphia that actually was a bit blended at the time. Um, that was, as, as, as people tell me now, well, I'm only in one insurance company. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only in one. And I think we were just the one back then. It was Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And then after working there probably for about a year or so, the person who owned the practice and I we realized this makes no sense for us to do this. And we... This was disassociated and things grew from there because you can't provide a fee-for-service practice in an insurance model. Right. And that's an interesting concept that when I talk with people about how do you feel about your fee-for-service practice and your fee-for-service patients supplementing your insurance practice? And they look at me, like I'm, I have three heads. And I said, well, do you use different laboratories? No, they use the same laboratories. Do you give them less time? No, they have less time. If something isn't right, do you say, ah, well, they're paying me less, so I'm going to put it in their mouth anyway. And they say, no. I said, so who's paying? Why does one person get it for less than the other person? Right. And it takes a while for them to get that. And think, well, think the patient too. If I'm sitting in chair one and in chair two is my neighbor who I know that you accept their insurance, why is my neighbor getting it for less than me? And those are the questions that I, right? Am I getting a cheaper material? Am I getting less this? Is there less, you know, what's, what's the difference? And if you're saying I'm doing the same product and delivering the same service, why discount one, not the other? How do you, how do you look both in the face and be fair and honest to both? Correct. That's a dichotomy. That's hard. Correct. And, and most of the people that I've had it, and I get, I get this cup when I'm, when I'm um, mentoring facially generated treatment plan at Spear, which is the first level course. And that's when students usually get to realize to do this level of care and comprehension, you need to be able to do a lot of things to understand what you're doing for your patient. <clears throat> so after class or at lunch, there's a lot of conversations about, well, how do I get rid of my insurances? How do I go ahead and do these things? Because 
it's, it's hard to do comprehensive care when there's restrictions on you by an insurance company. Mm -hmm. So the first answer really is, is, well, why do you want to become fee-for-service? Why do you want to get rid of your insurances? And when the doctor realizes that it's not going to work for them, that's how, this, that's how the beginning starts. But really, the way that you get to become a fee-for-service practice from an insurance-based practice and why you should is when your team is on board. Mm -hmm. If you can explain to your team and get to your team why you're doing this change, they will help you. And that's true of every aspect of your care, every aspect of your practice. You're 100% your team needs to be on board. I'm in the, I'm in the process of running an article for Sphere um, that um, I'll submit at the end of the month. And it's titled, Is Your Team As Smart As You Are? Mm -hmm. I believe your team has to be as smart or even smarter than you are to be successful. Well, about, yeah. about everything in your practice. Well, picture your team, picture your dental assistant and she, and she walks into the room and she has to look at the chart. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. This is a insurance patient. I have to treat you differently or I have to present or talk differently than I do the patient who's a fee for service patient. So, you, you, you know, think it's, you can't, you can't serve two masters, so to speak. So, you can't. Um, and it, and it, and it's just, it's a juggle. I remember a good friend of mine in practice in, in our town and he had a, a fee for service practice and he had a partner, a younger doc in with him. And the doc was convincing him that they needed to sign up and join the plan. And I looked at him, I said, why, why would you? And then he went through this whole dissertation and basically he said, well, I think we have to. And I said, no, no you don't have to. And he, and I said, how are you going to keep things separate? And he, and he went through a whole litany of, they're going to be in different colored charts. We're going to have different things. I said, well, are you going to treat them differently? When all said and done, are they a less class citizen? I mean, how, how do you, how do you get, how are you going to get away with that? And I think now they're in it a year and a half too. And I don't think they're happy with their decision. So let's talk about what you said when you disassociated with Blue Cross Blue Shield. Mm -hmm. What was the, what was the process you used? How'd you do that? Well, well, first the, the dentists have to realize why you're disassociating. And for us, it was, they were trying to tell us what we had to do and how we had to treat patients. Mm -hmm. And obviously they're trying to compromise the amount of fees. Mm -hmm. So then we had to get on board with our team about that why we're disassociating and how we got our team on board was we had a team meeting. By the way, I, I have team meetings every week for two hours I'm doing it for, I can't remember how long, but for years and years and years and years. And people say to me, well, gee, you're two hours every week. I say, yes, I'm huddles every morning. And two hours every week gives us an opportunity to have time to have discussions, to train our team, to be a family. If you don't have the time to do these things, how do you grow? Right. So I, I think recognizing that you need to be responsive to your team and the availability to have the time to take your time and teach and grow is the most valuable thing that you can do for yourself mm -hmm. and your production. Um, so we had a team meeting. Um, I brought up that we're um, 
probably going to be disassociating and going out of network. And somebody said, well, a lot of those patients will leave. And I say, well, you know, you're right. A lot of them will leave, but not all of them. A lot of them will appreciate what we're doing. And it depends upon how we instill upon them the values of what we're doing. And then those banter back and forth. And I said, all right, how about if we consider this? Why don't we consider Tuesdays our insurance day? So we'll only see insurance patients on Tuesdays. And we know that when we work on these patients on Tuesdays that we're probably gonna be getting about one third less of our normal fee. And they, they, we talked to them at that point about what fees are and what our compensation was. So does that mean on Tuesdays, everybody in the office is willing to accept one third less of their salary? Mm-hmm. And we'll call our laboratory and say, you know what? On Tuesdays, we're working with insurance patients. So these patients that we send to you, because we're only getting one third less, you'll be giving us the same work, but we expect you to only charge us one third less of the laboratory fee. And let's call up our suppliers too and tell them because we're working on insurance on these Tuesdays that this amount of of our supplies have to be reduced by one third. Mm -hmm. Everyone's looking at me like I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. And I asked, how many of you were willing to accept one third less fees and nobody, uh, one third less salary. And of course, and of course, nobody said that they were because they're working the same. And I say, you're right. And the laboratory is not going to accept one third less. Our, our, our mortgage company is not going to accept one third less. So why should we be working for one third less if we're doing the same care, using our same skills and using our same judgment for these people? And they got did, did you Did you uh, talk about like time? So if a hygienist has an hour for a patient, we're going to cut a third of your time off. Now you have 40 minutes. I mean, was that part we, of the discussion or you didn't we, have to We may that? have. Yeah. We may have. I mean, this was a long time ago. I, I had almost as much hair as you had back then. Yeah. But right now, I have a lot less. <laughs> but that was a long time ago that we had that conversation. And you know, it may have gone to that point, but they got the point. Yeah. They got the point that you're treating people differently. And they, they also knew at that point in time that the only way that the office would be successful was for it to be successful. And what I mean by that is the only way that you can do things for your team, uh-huh. the only way that you can have a fun time in your practice is be successful. There is nothing wrong with making money. Uh-huh. And you know, sometimes the term salesman has a bad connotation to it in dentistry, but you know, there's a lot of people that have become dental cripples because their dentist was a bad salesman. Uh-huh. They didn't know how to talk to a patient about the, the, the problems that they saw. It's, it's a lot easier to sell dentistry when a patient comes in with a broken tooth. However, why wait till it breaks when you start to see problems? Mm-hmm. Why not address them? Right. So that's, 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 that's a whole nother conversation about how do you talk to patients about care. But the big difference between a fee-for-service dentist and a, a uh, insurance-based practice is, I think a lot of insurance-based practice are reactionary and fee-for-service can be proactive. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I have many patients in my practice that I treated years and years ago and I'm just seeing them for hygiene. Well, right, what's the common answer? If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Well, 
how do you determine levels of broke? No, no, I know that. I'm just saying the insurance-based practice is they're going to fix it when it's broke. Oh, yeah. because right? it's So the reactionary to part, to, to, to your point, reactionary versus proactive, right? It's easier, it's easier to sell, sure. And, uh, you know, the other aspect is how much time is a fee for, if, if a fee for service practice has a different margin than an insurance based practice, how much is the insurance based practice reinvesting in themselves? And you know, it's a rhetorical question, but they're not. And that, that leads us to a whole number, another bowl of, bowl of wax, which means do, pay, do practices really understand their numbers? And I'll say universally, no. Universally, dentists don't, don't know their numbers. Hopefully, less, hopefully less than a fee-for-service practice because when you know your numbers and you know what you're investing in, it's a no-brainer. You know, the investments that you're making yourself come back to pay, have, have a big ROI. Mm -hmm. Like your two-hour meeting. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Because that's going to be the first thought of someone, oh, two hours, you're taking two hours out of your production. And if you're going to produce $800 an hour, you're, you're, you know, and your hygiene is this, so the overall office is less 2000 So you're dropping $3,000 that you should be getting in. How do you account for that, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas you understand the investment nature of it and you're investing it back into your practice and you're getting everybody on board. So let, let me ask you one question, because I can see, because I've had this conversation with a lot of young dentists or dentists that are, well, I'm going to drop the insurance and they're, and they're concerned with it and, or they're going into a practice and they want to convert some things. And, and I think the team is essential. And I think you really hit it on the head. They have to buy into it hook, line and sinker. And I always use the expression ham and eggs, right? In ham and eggs, the chicken's involved, but the pig is committed. Mm -hmm. So you need people to be pigs. They need to buy into it, committed. Not and, and, and you can imagine if Sally's my neighbor and she's been coming here forever and we've accepted her insurance. Now I have to look Sally in the eye and say, we're no longer on, on or in network with your plan. And then I have to, it's got to come from my soul. It can't be a, read, a script I read or something. It has to be something I can express because I believe in it. They have to have that belief. So as you move forward and you did this, now you're, now you're committed. So you're, you're the pig, you're committed to, this is what we're gonna do full-time fee for service. So now let's get into why, why, did, why was the fee for service? Why, why was that driving everything? Well, it's driving, it's driving everything because it hand, the insurance company handcuffs you on what you can do mm -hmm. and not do. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Again, my transition was years ago, and I've heard so many times, oh, it was easier back then. Well, right. there's All an expression, but every generation says that. <laughs> so, you know, that's, I said that's, it when I graduated. Oh, you guys course. in the 70s just hung a shingle. <laughs> yeah, you know, but there's, a, there's also an expression that says, if it has been done, it's entirely possible. Yeah. And people are doing this every single day. Right, right. And I, you constantly can do it, but you have to be a good leader. Yes. yes. <clears throat> and without being a good leader and taking the time to become a good leader, you're not going to be successful at this. So I think working for an insurance company and being, there's nothing in my mind, 
there's nothing wrong with being an insurance-based practice if that's what you're comfortable doing. Correct. And in one aspect, I'm happy because I choose not to do that. So I'm glad that somebody else is doing it. And those patients are seeking some care because they may not have had care if an insurance-based practice or a dental mill or a corporate dentistry didn't exist. So, okay. But the point that you brought up earlier, maybe before we started recording was without all the dentists signing up, they would never exist. So corporate dentistry only exists because too many dentists choose not to become fee-for-service. And unfortunately, in, in dental schools, they're teaching them how to work for insurance companies. Yeah, well, these are, well, they're they're financially, they're starting to drive the bus. They're putting the money in, and why? Think about it. It's their breeding ground. Like they want those graduates to 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 be indoctrinated in the way of Corporation X, because Corporation X has funded their um yearbook funded their outings and events and you know name is across the, the the clinics and what have you yeah absolutely but then when you get a student if i get a student come into my office and say they see the differences yeah, yeah. thank god thank god they're able to do that i mean there's people you know i'm talking with a couple of the guys in the fee-for-service group that i could think of right off the top of my head there were some people that didn't even know this, like that was even a, a, a choice. They didn't know that, oh, that's a, that's a, that's an option, you know, and that's scary. It is scary. Brainwashed. It is scary. And well, part of the, part of the problem is, well, here, let's go off on a tangent for a moment. If, if I have a student come where we talk about things or if I have lectured to students and they see the kind of care we provide and how we look at things constantly, I get, why don't they teach us this in dental school? And there's a lot of reasons they don't teach detailed dentistry because they don't have the time. Right. They also don't have the instructors to do it. Yes. They have to teach you a certain skill set. And then you have to have, like you said, you have, you have a license to learn. That's what I was always taught when I graduated, you get a license, but your license is to learn. And I think here is, here is the key take for this entire podcast. Who you are today is not who you have to be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So if you find there's going to come a point in your life <clears throat> where you're going to say, it's time for me to change. And one of the things I love incredibly so is that when I'm at Spirit, the first level course, and I see an older person, older, like in their fifties or so, and they've been in practice for a while. Cause usually they, when, when someone's probably been in practice about, mm, five, seven, 10 years is when they realize they don't know what the heck they're doing and they need to start learning more. But sometimes it's a little bit later than that. And I'll go up to them and say, gee, it's really nice to see you. What made you decide now's the time for you to come to higher level education? And they said, they realized, they finally realized they wanted to do something different. And I said, isn't that wonderful? That you never, you never really stop learning. Now, I'm going to stop learning when the time comes that I used to say that I'll keep learning dentistry until the time comes that I see my last patient. And that's not true anymore because I'm going to be retiring from clinical dentistry later this year. 
but I'll still be teaching at Spear. So I guess I'll be stop learning about dentistry when I'm dead. Mm-hmm. Because I'll probably even when I'm done teaching, I'll probably still be looking at what's going on on the on the boards and mm-hmm. people be asking me questions. So you're never going to stop learning unless you choose to. Unfortunately, I, 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 yep. some people choose to stop learning early in their career. Right. I've told, uh, and we've seen that because we've, we've got into practices where guys are retiring in their practices. And you can see some that were retired on the job and then some who are continuing learning. And I've always told my team, like, listen, if I'm practicing in five years or two years from now, exactly the same as I'm practicing today, it's time to carry me out of here because I've stopped growing and learning. And I, to me, it's, that's the fun, that's the excitement part. But then there's people that change, change is scary. So they, they just want to stay in that comfort area. And uh, I, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but it's a good point. I, I think it's a license to learn for life. And I agree, when I'm toes up, that's when I'll stop learning. Your, your point is, is accurate. Change is scary for a lot of people. And that's true in dentistry and in life. Life, yep. Take, taking risk for some people is very difficult. Yes. And risk is part of life. Mm-hmm. Um, early in my life, I was afraid to take risk, but, and I look back and wish I had, because when you're young, that's the time to take the risk. <laughs> but but the, okay, so, the, the why of becoming a fee-for-service practice has to be internalized. Um, you have to have a strong desire to become different than everybody else today. You have to have a strong desire and your team has to have a strong desire to become above average mm-hmm. in what you're doing. And without your team being on board, as you said, at ham and eggs, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And if there are people there that are not on board, it's time to set them free mm-hmm. because you need a team all on the same page to be effective. Right. And you constantly need to work at it to become better at what you're doing. Right. Because you're going to make mistakes and you have to learn from those mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, so t- so t- talk about now what you just said. You have to become above average, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and you, you're living, you, you live it, you walk the walk. So talk about some of the things that you've done in your career that have put you in that position become above average yeah well um it took me a long time to realize that i just thought i was like everybody else until uh, a periodontist that i work with uh said to me you know you're very naive and i said what do you mean he said not yeah he said not every practice is like yours he said most people don't practice the way you practice because the interactions I did with the periodontist and treatment planning and things, you know, I thought everybody was doing that, but he said, no, there aren't many practices like yours. So how do you, how do you become above average? Um, first, you have to have one second. Yep. That was a compliment, right? Yes. It was a compliment, but I didn't understand. It was very much a compliment. And he basically said to me, gee, I would love to have a, a half a dozen practices like yours. work with um the first commitment is that you the first thing is that you need to commit in your mind that you want to become above average and that it it does take work 
And for me, it, it really wasn't a difficult commitment because I knew that going into dental school that I wanted to be the best I can. I think everybody feels that way, but are they really willing to do? So um, you heard me say earlier that um, I took a lot of continuing education. I got my master's pretty early in my life, but I got exposed to Panky Institute by um, a friend who actually became, was one of my instructors in dental school. And then we became friends because we practiced in the same area. And he, he exposed to me about Panky Institute. And I believe for you to become exceptional, you need to be involved with some level of higher continuing education. Panky, Spear, Coys, something like that, Dawson. And more importantly, you need to have a mentor. You need to have a good mentor who's going to listen to you and help you grow into what you want to be. So um, I'm part of the faculty, visiting faculty at Spear, but I also write articles for them. And there's an article that they published, how do you find a good mentor? And um, you don't have to be part of Spear education. You can go to Google and, and um, Google in the title, Google my name, and you'll get access to all the articles. Um, but finding a good mentor that is going to help you on your path is real important. So when I was starting uh, Panky way back then, they had a mentor program that you could have a list of people and pick a mentor in your area. And um, I remember when I was doing that, I saw that there was a mentor up in Princeton, I'm drawing a blank on his, uh, Bruce. And he was on the lecture circuit. I said, wow, wouldn't it be great to have this person who's a prominent lecturer as my mentor. And I ended up choosing somebody that I didn't know. He was halfway between my office and my house. Um, a uh, person, Pretty Bob convenient. Ryan. Say again? Pretty convenient. It was convenient, but Bob turned out to be one of the best people in my life because he was like a, a friend. And he never answered my questions. He helped me understand what I wanted to do. He wasn't the big name. And what I've learned over the years, Sonny, is the people in Panky and at Spear who have been the best people as mentors for me have not been big names. Now, they, some of them grow into big names. Um, Gary DeWood, Jim McKee, um, these are two of the they're, they're pretty prominent uh, at Spear, and they're pretty, they're, they're just great people. I mean, I got to know, I knew, I knew Gary before he was Gary. I knew Jim before he was Jim. And these are people who were my mentors in dentistry. And Bob Ryan, who's been retired for a while, you know, Bob was just a local dentist. But he had the philosophy and the practice skills and the ability to help me grow into what I wanted to be. Because I can't be Dr. Panky. I can't be Frank Spear. I can just take their concepts and incorporate it into my practice and become me. Mm -hmm. But you do need to have mentors who are willing to hear what you have to say and help you grow. So I remember one of the questions I had for Bob and uh, early on in my time, and I said, Bob, do I need to take a face bell on every patient? And he said, I don't know. What do you think? 
That was his most common question. And he helped me figure out the answers. So it's understanding the details of quality care and having mentors who can help you figure out where you want to go. You know what, you know what I find interesting though in talking and listening to you is would you say, at least that my observation, you're a driven person. You're, you're, if someone says, listen, you know, okay, you're in college, it's four years, boom, you did it in three years. Uh, dental school, four years, boom, you did it in three years. Uh, you're going to take your mastership, it's going to usually take 10 to 12 years, boom, you're there at six years. So now I'm not going to say overachiever, but you're a very focused, driven person. And I, I have some similarities myself because when I was in college after three years, I was ready to graduate too. And because I was an athlete, I had to, I wanted to stay and play my fourth year. So I added a second major so that I didn't matriculate out. And then I went to dental school and I had, you know, I was coaching at, at dental school and I had you know, achieved almost all of my requirements at the end of my third year. And, and you know, there's just some similar things, but mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's, uh, so let's, so now let's, so that's part of your personality. Let's take the person who doesn't have that internal drive, we'll call it. How do you help or how do you mentor someone that wants to be mentored, but they don't have that, they don't have that fire? Well, not everybody wants to be mentored. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give you that example. Um, there's one person that I'm, I have mentored in the past that um, I won't anymore. And she came to me and said, you know, I'm really upset with you. And I said, why is that? She said, every time I ask you a question, you never answer it. You answer it with another question. Just tell me the answer. <laughs> and I said, give me well, the shortcut. yeah, I'm trying to help you understand why you're asking me the question. Critical thinking. She yeah. said, I don't want that. Just tell me the answer. Yeah. And I said, okay, just remind me. And when she reaches out, I, I give her an answer, but it's a very quick conversation. And this is a person who's in an insurance-based practice. Um, but the other people want to grow and they're willing to make the efforts to change. And you have to want to grow and people will grow at different levels. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And people will hear different things and you need something to spark the light bulb to say, Hey, I need to do this. You're only going to grow when you're ready. When the, when the student is ready, the teacher will enter. Well, let me ask you this. Do they need to be broken first? I think most do. Yeah. Right. They almost, you almost have to have that feeling of, I need, right? I need this. So okay. So let's let's go off on a little bit of a tangent. You know, when you and I chatted a little bit before the podcast, <clears throat> I made a comment to you is I think the best way to have a fee for service practice is to buy one. Yeah, 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 yeah. We had that conversation, right? Yeah. Right. And that's true. My practice was a fee for service practice. I sold it to a young man who is going to grow, I think, into a, a very talented practitioner. <clears throat> but he's just starting to get that idea. And a few other people, I knew two other people in the Philadelphia area that did the same thing. And when they bought these practices, they had to start to learn how to become a fee-for-service practice. Now, the good thing is that they maintained their team and the team helped to teach them as well. 
and they were open to let the team teach them. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people will say to you when you buy a practice, oh, you're going to lose, you're going to lose the team. They're going to go somewhere else. And a lot of instances, it's true. That's because you're not treating the team the same way that they've been treated before. You're not doing the same things that they did before. So the person who bought my practice, a smart young man, said to everybody, we're not going to be changing anything. This has been a very successful practice. We're going to try to do the same things. Now, obviously you can't because you're not the same person, but it doesn't mean you can't grow into somebody that's doing similar things and even better. So he is going through that growth process. And every time we get a chance to talk about things, you see the light bulb in his head go on as he starts to understand more. He just came back from his first um, continuum at Spear. And he said to me, I have so many questions for you. Mm -hmm. Even though he's been living that life for eight months, when you start to invest in it, when you start to put down the dollars and spend the time and go and get exposed to other people who are doing this, your eyes open up more. And he puts his ears, ears on now a little bit more when we chat. He realizes the importance of all the details of what we do. And the, he realizes that all the seeds that I've planted over the years are starting to grow for him. So a fee-for-service practice doesn't happen with a turn of a switch. It happens with a dimmer switch that it slowly gets brighter and brighter and brighter. People have to learn to trust you. People have to learn to appreciate the details of what you're doing. Most fee-for-service practices get their patients from other patients. Right. You're not going to find me that I'm on an insurance list. Right. They're not, they're not coming to me because I'm going to accept the insurance. They're coming to our practice because they want to. Yeah, they heard you were good. Right? Well, they, can't believe they everything. Heard knew, they heard you knew what you were doing, right? I mean, I, some of those comments, right? Or I was there and I didn't really trust or feel and, and I, my neighbor sees you and, you know, is very satisfied. Sometimes it's it's, right, it's just I need to be in the right place because now my dentist, my dental health is important to me and I need to find someone who shares that. Right. I think what's funny, I think I would, I would agree because I've, I've been in, in both, both sides of that equation, but when a person does that purchases or transition to ownership, I, I think what you're saying, if I could paraphrase it is you got to check your ego at the door and mm-hmm you have to be open to learn and you don't know it all, even though you're in a position. Now here's, here's the, here's the, here's the challenge. I think here's the oxymoron. You're in the position of authority. You're writing the check. You, but you, you have all the responsibilities, but you're also, you're out, you're, so you're in the leadership, but then you also have to be a little bit of the follower or the learner or the disciple, whatever you want to call it and grow with it and not worry about, Oh, how's that look to the team? And I think there's a real ego shift in that. And I think some people are, may not be equipped to handle it, but I think they have to understand it. I think that's a very important, re- important area to grow. Yeah. Agreed. That goes along with, with our, something I said earlier. You need yeah. to be a good leader. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's a 
a big difference between a leader and a manager. Mm-hmm. And when you learn the difference between being a leader and a manager, and you become a good leader, your practice is going to grow. But the because- leader also, right, needs to admit, I don't know what I don't know, right? They have to Absolutely. learn. And that's a challenge in front of a team that they might say, how will they view that as? And I think that's a, that's a hard thing for young owners. Agreed. You know, you know, one of the things I'll say to some young people, I says, your, your diplomacy says doctor. It doesn't say God. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about six expected. words that sums it up. <laughs> yeah. You're not expected to be perfect. Yeah. And, you know, it's a practice of dentistry, which means you're changing. You know, Sonny, the only thing that I still do the same from when I was in dental school is when I meet a patient, I say, hello, I'm Carl Steinberg. Everything else has changed and it's going to continue to change. Thank God. That's yeah. really, that's really exciting. It's, 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 it's a constant change and a constant challenge. And, you know, Dentistry has provided me with a one absolutely wonderful life. And I've done and acquired things I never imagined in my lifetime. I mean, just think about it. You know, I, you and I are sitting at a beach house talking to each other through a computer. I never imagined that as a kid growing up. <laughs> that wasn't on my plan. That wasn't on my list of goals. No, <laughs> it wasn't on. It wasn't on mine either. I, I had no idea. You know, for me, the highlight was spending a, a week at the beach at the New Jersey beach in the summer. That's what, that was a big vacation for us growing up. Right, yeah. So what people don't get is that dentistry is gonna provide you with a much better life than most people in the world. Mm-hmm. It isn't about dollars. Mm-hmm. It has to do about quality of life. Quality of life, I, you took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, fee for service practice, if you're able to acquire one, or create one and be successful at it is going to provide you even with a better quality of life. But more importantly, it's going to give you an opportunity to help a lot of people who are appreciative and develop a lot of relationships with people. And again, when you learn how to be paid with gratitude, your life changes dramatically. I love it. Let me ask you this. Let's, let's take a scenario I'm a young dentist. I am starting a fee-for-service practice. I'm going to do from a scratch. startup right from scratch. Um, what are some of the things that you would advise or help them or get them to introspectively look at themselves as they go through that journey? Because I think that's a common thing that comes up on the fee-for-service Facebook pages. There are some startups or there are some people that are, you know, let's not talk about the conversion. Let's just talk about someone who wants to start this way. What are some of the things that you should, um, as a, as a seasoned veteran and what, what are some of the, the mindsets that they should have? I'm not, I'm not asking you, give, don't give me a recipe. Cause I, I, I don't think that you would. Let's talk about what should they be prepared for? Well, the first thing they need to do is find a good mentor. Mm-hmm because they need to be able to talk to somebody about what's going on in their lives and the changes. Thousand percent. I'm with you. Thousand percent. Uh, second thing they, they need to do is build a team mm-hmm. and build a philosophy 
a, um, a, a, a group that is on the same board, an office culture. Mm-hmm. That, that's your leadership. That's, that's leadership. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. That um, is on the same, everybody's on the same page. And actually you took the next step, the next thing. They need to become a leader. Mm-hmm. And the leader is not a manager. Oops. Sorry about that. Okay. Theory, turn off. <laughs> Siri, stop. What's, is it a Siri? It's not Siri. Alexa, stop. I'm sorry. You have a guest. Phone? You have a guest in your house. It's you Alexa. A guest. Or is it a ghost? <laughs> I'm not sure how that came up, but. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a first for a podcast. Hey, that's why we're dentists, right? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I think those are the three highlights. And then the fourth one is learn how to do the dentistry. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you this conversation. Um, finding a mentor can be difficult and also can be easy. That's where I said, go to the article. <clears throat> Talk to the specialist. The specialists know who the better dentists are. Go to the local laboratories. The laboratories know who does good work and who doesn't. And probably if you reach out to some of these people, they're probably going to be willing to help because to be successful like that, They've had good, they've had mentors themselves. Mm-hmm. How do you find a team? Well, I think the answer is you don't find a good team. I think you have to make a good team. You find good people mm-hmm. and then you've got to make a good team. So you've got to be a good leader. <clears throat> How do you become a good leader? Part of that is from your mentor, but I think I told you that story about the periodontist and he's, he's a firm believer that for every clinical course that you take you should be taking two non-clinical courses to learn how to run your practice manage your people talk with people one of my favorite courses i ever took was at pank institute which was the art of listening and man that opened my eyes dramatically um and then obviously you need to get the training mm-hmm. because it's one thing to treat people good but if you can't if you can't walk the walk it's it's not going to be able to be sustainable for you so i'm not sure if that's a recipe but that's a start and who you are today is not who you're going to be tomorrow because a fee-for-service practice is constantly evolving i think the only thing that i would add and, and and i think you're spot on thousand percent spot on I think sometimes people want to do something, but I don't think they understand what they want. Like, I don't think they understand what or the how um, or what's involved. So as you hire and develop the team, if you're not really sold or, or, or fully invested in what it is, then I think you're going to falter. So I think I think understanding what you're about to embark on is probably one of the key points, because as you hit roadblocks or stumbles, and you know there was there was something recently on there that was a person was a fee for service practice, and then they found out that 
Delta had classified them as premier and they were like, Oh, I'm wondering, should I stay that? I was like, that, that shouldn't even be a question. If you're, if you're really sold on what you're doing philosophically, that doesn't align with what you want to do. So I, I, those are the things that the only thing that I would add occasionally would in this scenario would be understand exactly what you want understand what that means. So. Agreed. And with any insurance company, if you know how to run the numbers, <laughs> it's an easy, it's an easy choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have worked with a, a, a few practices and starting more so and helping them with changes they want to do. Mm-hmm. And some have been successful because the doctor was fully implemented and some have not. So when I, meaning that I've, I've talked to teams mm-hmm. about what does it mean to make a change? I've talked to some teams about how do you incorporate uh, airway into your practice or incorporate um, comprehensive care into your practice and how do you look at things more and some teams have been very much involved and some have not because some teams are afraid of change and some but it all has to start up top with the doctor mm-hmm. and if it's a group practice sometimes that's a bit more challenging because you have too many Indian chiefs mm-hmm. and unless everybody is on board, mm-hmm. but there really has to be one leader. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, the old general Patton, right? Lead, follow, or get out of the way. So mm-hmm. it's my daughter's favorite, one of her favorite quotes. <laughs> it's true. You know? Absolutely true. Yeah. So we're going to wrap up in a couple minutes. Uh, any, any last, uh, any last thoughts on the, we talk about the why we understand. I think people we've, we've covered the, what the fee for service part of it, but what, what, any, any, any further nuggets or jewels that you'd like to share with, with our listeners? Well, a common thing that this is, these are common conversations I have at Spear with students, especially during the first uh, continuum, uh, which is facially generated treatment plan. Um, The two things I would say to you is that, surround yourself with good people and that means not only your team but your friends your dental friends because your dental friends if may talk try to talk you out of what you're doing Mm -hmm. and surround yourself with people that have done this before Mm -hmm. and that are fee-for-service and are successful because they're the ones that are going to share the successes with you um if it has been done, it's entirely possible, which means it has been done. So to think that you can't do it because it's 2021 is baloney. You can. Well, that's polite. Say, oh, that's very, polite. Very, very polite how you said that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it does take effort, as, as you said. So everything worthwhile takes effort. Yeah. And you know, the biggest problem with going from a fee for service practice from an insurance based practice is you have to learn that you're going to have more time. You're going to see less, less patients and you're going to make more money, mm-hmm. not bad things, but you have to recognize that it also takes more effort to do that. Mm-hmm. So I'll leave you with a quote um, from a student. And 
when you're um, going through the workshops at Spear, and it was similar at Panky, you have a group of people, and at some point in the beginning, each person will mention their name, where they're from, maybe where they went to school, and what they want to get out of the class. So the, the second class that you usually take at Spear is the occlusion workshop. And one student said, I came here a few months ago and I took facially generated treatment plan and I'm starting to do the things that I was taught. The problem is my patients are saying yes to me and I don't know what to do. That's a good problem to have when people are saying, yes, I want you to treat me, but I don't know how to treat them. I remember saying that to my, to my mentor, Bob. And I said, Bob, patients want me to treat them, but I'm not sure what to do. <laughs> and he, he helped me with that. He said, you're gonna learn all that stuff, but that's a good problem to have. So find a good mentor, be clear about where your path is gonna be, make sure your team is on board. And in addition to that, make sure your family is on board because this takes a little bit of effort and stress. And without your, your family being on board, it won't happen too, mm -hmm. because there's, it puts stresses on your family. Mm -hmm. Agreed, but support system is key. I, I, do, I, I wanna go back to the one point you made, surround yourself with good people. Because I think the parallel is lose the bad people. Mm -hmm. So if you have those negative, uh, or energy vampires or whatever you want to, you know, they're just going to be a tremendous drain on you. And there's only so much that you can support that. Uh, I think so surround yourself with good people, but I would just add and lose the naysayer negative Nellies that are going to be trying to pull you down. So, yeah. All right. So last, this has been fantastic. And I, I, I you know, I'm enjoying this because I learned so much myself. Um, and thank you very much. <laughs> Um, but I, I do want to ask you, and I've asked everybody this, this has nothing to do with dentistry. And, and this is kind of a fun question to, to wrap it up. If you could go anywhere or do anything at any point in time, uh, or you could go to any era or moment in time, where would you go and why? I think the era I want to be in is right here because this is the life that I've grown to and I'm, I'm pretty happy in my life. And I'm very fortunate. Um, in my younger days, I thought I could, an I could answer that question differently. Mm -hmm. But I realized that you only get one chance at life and I've had an opportunity to make it a pretty good one. Sure, hindsight is twenty twenty, and there's things I would have done differently. Sure, I would have bought Microsoft when it first came out. <laughs> And, um, you know, I, I've made, I've made a lot of financial mistakes. Don't feel bad for me. I'm going to be able to retire comfortably, but everybody makes mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, the future is always bright. Every generation has grown from the prior generation. So I love the life I have, and it's really all about family and, um, there's, there's a lot of good things I'm going to leave behind when my time comes that I'm not here. And that has to do with people that I've touched and have hopefully helped them grow. 
because there's many people that have helped me grow. I, I, I became, I've grown to where I am today, not because of me, but because of people who have helped me. But again, I have to be the one that's taking the information from what they're giving, willing to share and grow. And I have to pay it forward to other people. So I don't think there's anything anywhere else I want to be. I feel very, I feel very lucky, Sonny, that I was born to parents that cared for me, that loved me, that educated me, gave me good values, and gave me the opportunity for a good life. And so I was just lucky enough to be born to that situation. And I didn't realize that growing up. So, so all, all your roads that you've taken and traveled have led you to this point. And, and, and although you wouldn't change, right, you might have altered them, but you really have gotten to the point because of all that. And that's what's, that's what's made, made you. And I, I, that's just a beautiful story. And I, we have a lot more aligned than you can possibly imagine the more I talk to you. So uh, I fully appreciate that. And uh, uh, my pleasure. Thank, thanks for your words of wisdom. I'm sure <laughs> many people will, will get from it. In our, in our show notes, we'll put how you can reach Dr. Steinberg. Uh, as you have heard him speak, he's very involved with the Spirit Continuum of Education. Uh, you can tell it just—it just—it's—it's it's what he is, it's who he believes in, and it's who he is and what he believes in, and and it comes out plain as day. And you won't really won't meet a more straightforward, humble guy. And I am so thankful for having this conversation, our friendship, and everything else. So, thank you all, and uh, have a great, great day, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast. If you would like to share your fee-for-service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our Fee-for-Service Dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.